Katie Bennett-Stenton, a senior B2B marketing professional with a real interest in digital transformation, change management, and developing amazing content. I live in Melbourne, Australia with my husband and my two mostly delightful children. Having worked in senior marketing roles in the UK, US and Australia, I've met many inspiring people and benefited hugely from the power of network and community. In this Katie Talks podcast series, I uncover the stories of influencers, sharing their thought-provoking and business leadership insights. Today's is a really interesting one. We're talking about the patriarchy. It's obviously a topic that is in constant discussion in all forms of media. From a personal perspective, it's one I talk about uh, every day with girlfriends, my husband, kids, colleagues, pretty much anyone will listen. And I like to think that I had a really um, quite delightful start to life in terms of um, some of some of these themes. One of the memories most strong for me is I, that my dad taking me to the bank when I was about 10 and having them change my title from Miss to Ms. Because as he explained to me, people would look at his title and they didn't know his marital status. So why on earth should they look at my title and know my marital status? So I feel like that was um, a very early message that, uh, that, that shaped me. I read an interview recently with Elizabeth Broderick, Australia's Sex Discrimination Commissioner for over eight years um, in that role until 2015. And she started getting really passionate about this when she had twins, uh, one of each gender, and she wanted the same opportunities for both. So I thought that was, that was a really delightful message that stuck in my mind. My guest today is Graham Bowman, who's well known as a keynote speaker, writer, MC, corporate comedian and hoax speaker. Now, you're probably like me and thinking that that's a very curious combination and, and one that intrigued me. Uh, and it's something that Graham has been at for the last 34 or so years. Graham, welcome. Thank you very much. I'd love to, before we get into the questions, just to hear a little bit more about your background. Well, I've... Um been writing a lot of corporate communications advertising over the years. Mm -hmm. Began my uh, working life as a teacher, which is about communication sure. and about simplifying complex messages. Absolutely. So a lot of that notion of simplifying complex messages has been important to me mm -hmm. and using humour and the arts to explore really difficult topics in more recent years. But the uh, hoax speaking is something a lot of people don't know what that is. It's a corporate imposter, which is a, um, I get introduced as a, a genuine expert on banking or engineering or medicine or mm -hmm. anything, depending what the audience is in front of me. Sure. And uh, I, I pretend to be that person and they think I am for a while and then they realise that I'm a complete idiot. It gets silly and funny and, mm -hmm. and so on. And actually in the work that I'm now doing, exploring uh, patriarchy, I often begin the presentation introduced as an American expert on patriarchy. Okay. And so I'm playing with people's heads. We're using a theatrical approach to try and get messages across in a way that's not like a lecture mm -hmm. and has men and women laughing. Okay. It's, it, it was, I was so intrigued when, um, when I first read about your background and, you know, immediately a whole lot of questions 
conjured up in my mind. How'd you find yourself gravitating to talking about why we need to ditch the patriarchy? Well, <clears throat> apart from doing all this, uh, this, this work with, with humour and MC work and so on, I'd been always interested in what's the root cause of these global problems that are out there. So I was just conducting some informal research uh, for quite some time. And the deeper you dug, the more you stumbled across the patriarchy as something that was causing problems, something that was a barrier to their resolution. Mm -hmm. And so I became very interested in that and thought, can I combine some of this satirical humorous stuff with the um, exploration of, uh, of patriarchy and, and perhaps say something useful? Okay. Uh, so I think my purpose in life now is to name the elephant in the room, uh, mainly in rooms associated with the old boys club. And in my view, this elephant in the room is the toxic and archaic worldview known as patriarchy, which is a primitive set of beliefs and behaviours that Carl Jung once described as a stunted, immature form of masculinity. And I reckon the time for tiptoeing around the elephant is over. <laughs> So my role is, I think, is to hold up a mirror to groups of people to, to help them both or see both the danger and the absurdity of patriarchal norms. And uh, so I try to explore this through poetry or satire. And uh, with the ultimate aim is to provoke courageous conversations about what I call the MWBT, which is the men behaving badly thing where the mantra is win at all costs and where the modus operandi is exploitation and suppression and where a sense of entitlement takes precedent over a sense of responsibility. I'll give you an example of mm. one of these characters that I uh, sometimes go into. Sometimes I channel a gentleman from America's deep south right at the point when he finally gets it that the men behaving badly thing is actually a major cause of global problems. And he, he, he goes, uh, I have seen the light. We men are partly to blame for global problems. We have sinned and we must repent and we must fix those global problems. Society needs men to fix those things as only men can, <laughs> using their natural masculine attributes such as humility, empathy, lack of ego, a strong desire to accept blame and criticism and an absolute passion for listening deeply without interrupting. <laughs> Instinctively, men know that women want men to once again be their knights in shining armour. Be honest, what woman right here, right now, does not secretly dream each night of spending every waking moment bathing in the aura of an alpha male, floating on the lilo of hypermasculinity, drifting in the dinghy of testosterone and sinking softly into the sofa of mansplaining. <laughs> so I've chosen to take the advice of one of my favourite feminists, Gloria Steinem, who said, if we choose every day to overcome these crazy categories based on the fiction of race and gender and ethnicity, and if we do so with joy and poetry and music and humour, then we will have joy and poetry and music at the end of the revolution. Oh, well, Gloria Steinem is amazing and that quite superbly uh, sums up what you're talking about, doesn't it? Now, Graham, 
I want to ask you an uncomfortable question, which perhaps is the elephant in the room for the conversation we're having. But how do you square up the fact that, dare I say it, you are a middle-aged white man who I suspect has probably benefited from the patriarchy? In that context, how did you come to this and why? Well, I'd have to say, yes, I have undoubtedly benefited from the Western form of patriarchy. Uh, just as many white women have benefited from being white, but at the same time suffered from being a woman. Hence, we get these terms male privilege and, and white privilege, where privilege, of course, means unearned advantage. And, and if there was a woman of colour sitting here with us today, she could tell us how Western patriarchy has worked against her on two counts uh, for being neither white nor male which leads to the whole notion, the really important notion of intersectionality. It's, it's all so complex, far more complex than we think. Uh, and there's, so there's layers upon layers of advantage for some people and disadvantage for others. But as, as far as my own thinking mm. has changed over the years, there's been a growing realisation in me that patriarchal beliefs and behaviours are are totally incongruent with the, the needs of our planet and its people. That a patriarchal worldview is increasingly damaging both men and women, society in general, other species, whole ecosystems, you name it. And a, a, big, a big problem right at the heart of patriarchy is the creation of the inferior other. For example, patriarchy suggests that non-human life is inferior to human. So we really have this anthropocentric view of the world. Uh, Western patriarchal society mm -hmm. does, not indigenous. There's patriarchy suggests that women are inferior to men, that people of colour are inferior to white, that gay is inferior to straight, and, and on you go. And I, I think that amongst many millions of, if not billions of people now, the growing response to these toxic patriarchal beliefs and behaviours is enough is enough. That's the common thing I believe we're hearing everywhere. And it gets amplified through social media mm. these days. And it's, it's getting harder and harder for, for people to hide. For, for people who have done things that get called out as Me Too or whatever they are, mm -hmm. uh, it's more difficult to hide and enough is enough. More people are seeing that the Emperor has no clothes, in a sense. And look, because of my research into patriarchy and my background in comedy, speaking, writing, I feel I've got something to contribute in a way that uh, plays to my strengths. Mm, okay. And so, as to use your words, an old white guy, what do you feel you can bring to the conversation that's different to what countless, countless feminists, women, and others in have been saying for years? Well, maybe this 66-year-old white guy can relate to other old white guys in a different way and use a theatrical approach to try and open minds and hearts enough to start those all-important, courageous conversations because that's where the change actually happens mm -hmm. with internal, intrinsic changes. Uh, and we need to explore these topics from numerous angles. And for example, I'll give you another example. In one of my routines, I play this pompous English businessman who's talking on the phone and he starts off like this. 
Hello, Brian. Lovely to hear from you. No, you're not interrupting anything. I was just brushing up on my sense of entitlement. And I've just come from a long gourmet lunch down at the club with a chap who used to be professor of downsizing at Oxford. And now he spends all his time privatising national parks and bulldozing sacred sites for corporate marquees. Then later in the phone call, mm -hmm. this guy outlines what to put in the company's annual report. So, the annual report, uh, just the usual platitudes that won't make people think, such as, people are our greatest asset, which really means people who are desperate to survive and grateful for any crumbs we throw their way are our <laughs> greatest asset. We exist to enhance shareholder value, or more precisely, the value of their bank balance, as opposed to the value of the air they breathe or the water they drink. We can't be expected to do everything. That's a good job for taxpayer money. Now, not everything I do is trying to be funny mm -hmm. or appropriate to be funny. For example, not long ago, I was inspired by a range of things I'd read about domestic violence to write a poem to explore that. And uh, I'd interpreted some stuff I'd read in books and, and other material and just tried to capture what you know, what the experts in this area believe is at the core of domestic violence. So I'm going to read this particular poem. Okay. It's called Why Do You Stay? How did it happen? Where did it begin? There wasn't a moment, an obvious sin. Invisible threads form a web of abuse. Insidious threads close in like a noose. Why do you stay? Why don't you leave? They don't understand, they wouldn't believe. She's trapped in a cycle. He's invaded her soul, tethered by power, caged by control. For years it just wasn't, and then it just was. Why does he do it? Is it because? Because of what? Because he can? What is the poison infecting this man? Is it a sickness that hasn't a name, or is it reaction to deep-seated shame? Is he acting out stories the same as his dad? Or is it as simple as, some men are bad? Walking on eggshells, she plays the game. She tries to avoid the finger of blame. Tries to prevent the unexplained rage, a hidden drama on a private stage. He towers, she cowers, it's happening again. She says he's crazy, he says she's insane. And always he yells at the black and the blue. See what you caused? what you made me do. It's not her fault, but that's never mattered. A blameless woman still gets battered. Her dignity torn, her spirit tattered. Her children weep for a future shattered. Whew, that's um, clever and incredibly heavy, Graham. I'm not, how, how did you come up with that? I, I'm. I'm struggling to think about questions to ask you after yeah. listening well, to that. That's, what I'd say about that is that, um, I guess what I'm trying to do there is, and by the way, a lot of it had been explored by a fairly recent uh, book written by Jess Hill, an Australian investigative journalist. It's mm -hmm. incredibly comprehen comprehensive mm -hmm. and confronting, and her interpretations of a lot of what's going on here I was taking bits and pieces of that, as well as other 
ideas that mm -hmm. were floating around and trying to express it in a way. And but they, the aim of all these things I'm doing, particularly those, uh, the more uh, theatrical type mm -hmm. things, whether it's poetry or humour, is to serve as a discussion starter. To be, able, to be able to, in a short space of time, to do something which gets, say, a table of people discussing it. Again, without just throwing yet more data at them mm -hmm. or a, a mini lecture or a rant. Yeah. Uh, and and it's, it's not just about me doing it. If, if, if we wanted to explore that stuff with uh, secondary school kids or, or people in a workplace or, whatever, or a community group, within a church group, whatever it is, we could be inviting them to come up with a creative response to some of this stuff. We could, we could give them a few facts and figures and bits and pieces, mm -hmm. but then invite them to come up. So all sorts of different people Somebody might be really good with a cartoon, a satirical thing. Somebody might be good with a poem, with, with, with humour, with um, uh, music, dance. And something I'd um, been thinking about there is when we're exploring these really awkward, complex topics, it's useful to enlist all bits of the brain, to, to blend our thoughts with our feelings mm -hmm. and entwine the emotional and intellectual. And Writing a poem forces us to do this. Sure. As do other artistic forms of expression. And uh, what we're trying to do is, is create a fresh perspective, perhaps, or generate an aha moment. And if we can do that, then perhaps we just move the needle mm. a little bit. Yeah, okay. That's, that's really interesting. Graham, a lot of your work focuses on posy to cosy, freeing the planet from patriarchy. Tell me more about that. Yes, posy to cosy. Well, unpacking the topic of patriarchy is both complicated and confusing. So I just created a, a simple model to help people explore what the hell is going on. And again, this is to serve as a discussion starter. Mm -hmm. And it's the model posy to cosy outlines what I believe is our current transition, albeit very slow and painful, Katie, from Indeed. the dominant dysfunctional human operating system, which is a patriarchal one, to a, a, a non-patriarchal system, which is far more congruent with the needs of the planet and its people. So I, I call it posy to cosy. Look, posy refers to uh, the current dominant human operating system, which is as a pyramid and that so pyramid operating system becomes posy a pos becomes a posy and p stands for pyramid and there's a few other words that p stands for that i associate with this dysfunctional human operating system such, okay <laughs> such as power privilege your position in the hierarchy um it's a it serves as a production line really this this type of system at the at the bottom, there's poverty, pain, pollution. At the top, a relatively small number of princes, priests, prima donnas, parasites, those sort. And in a, in a world that's been shaped by this mm. toxic human operating system, there's a growing cry from the billions of people who are nowhere near the top that, again, enough is enough. And that there's an urgent need to move away from a posy to a cosy which that's a human operating system based on the uh, on the circle, 
moving from a pyramid to a circle. So there's a simple model there. And guess what? There's a few words starting with C that describe the circle human operating system. Because that's all, that's more about connection, collaboration, mm -hmm. community, being creative and curious about what is going wrong in the world and how we can change that. Hmm. So importantly though, that the circle human operating system is not synonymous with soft or weak. It's the cosy is not cosy um, because it reflects reality and reality is always messy. Mm. And so cosy people, I believe, they, they which is, you know, cosy means non-patriarchal in, in leadership style and mm. way of thinking. But those cosy people see the world for what it is and they also are able to do something that that posi command and control way of functioning can't do, and that's deal with complexity and chaos. Okay. So there's a, there's a, and let's face it, I think we're up to our necks in complexity and chaos, which is what they call a VUCA world, don't they? Mm. VUCA. Yes. Volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And I think we need, I think a, a real heart of the solution, if there's one, is we need thousands and thousands of leaders who can sit with this complexity, who are more like cosy people than posy people. And look, when we're, if we were choosing leaders for this organisation, um, for any organisation, I think that before we look at gender and diversity, uh, we need to look at something deeper, and that is whether each individual candidate is a posy type or a cosy. See, let, let's say I had six people, six people on my board and three were like Donald Trump and three were like Margaret Thatcher. Hey, I have gender balance. Woohoo! But I have six posies. You know, I have six patriarchal type of thinkers okay. and leaders. My suggestion is to ensure that all candidates on the shortlist are cosy people. Then you look for a good mix of those other criteria. Well, there's a lot that goes in, there's a huge amount that goes into diversity, isn't there, and what makes a, an optimal operating team, whether it's C-suite board or any way down in, in any type of organisation. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's some, some good food for thought there, Graham. But surely the patriarchy isn't working all that well for men either, is it? I mean, there are much higher rates of depression and suicide for men. Uh, in fact, 75% of Australians who killed themselves in 2017 were male and suicide is the leading cause of death for men aged 15 to 44. Um, from, from a personal perspective, a couple of weeks ago, my eight-year-old son's amazing 24-year-old male teacher took his own life. And uh, I mean, that, you know, there, there, are, there are so many stories out there like that that, that are that are just horrific, that, that ripple out and affect many, many people. But clearly having a society dominated by men isn't benefiting all men. What, what are your thoughts on this front? I think a crucial message for us blokes is that patriarchy messes with men's minds. It might do obvious things in terms of gender inequality and so on, but it also messes with men's minds. Too. Uh, and in the word, the words of the, the legendary feminist Bell Hooks, I think she really uh, got close to a great, came out with a great 
description where she said that patriarchy is the single most life-threatening social disease assaulting the male body and spirit. Until we can collectively acknowledge the damage patriarchy causes and the suffering it creates, we cannot address male pain. Obviously, some patriarchal men are reliable and even benevolent caretakers and providers, but they are still imprisoned by a system that undermines their mental health. And importantly, because we're always looking to get to the point of having courageous conversations about this stuff. Mm -hmm. And there's sort of a thing in strong male culture where they don't want to have a conversation. And that partly perhaps leads to the, the way problems um, compound upon themselves mm. and then does contribute yes. to mental illness and suicide. Mm -hmm. So it's mental, mental illness, depression, suicide, that can be a good entry point for the courageous conversations. A, a separate entry point from, say, gender inequality. Mm. It's because, hey, we're sort of really studying for the what's in it for me thing. How does this affect you, you guys? you really blokey bloke sitting over there. So it becomes a, a good entry point. And just on that notion of entry points, this is a critical thing for getting guys to talk openly about all this, all these things. Uh, for example, because there's a big initiative around just gender equality plus diversity and inclusion, out there in government land and corporate land all over the place. There's a, a lot of white men see all of this as a threat hmm. because it's yep. totally different from what sure. they grew up with. They, they've been sort of like they were sold a lie or told a lie hmm. that's changing. And now they said, you're not, you're not supposed to be like that. But, but, but these guys, a lot of these guys might be male leaders with power and budgets and everything. We need to, we need to get on side to support gender equality in their organisation because they're up in the elite. We need these guys to participate fully in courageous conversations. So it's important we find entry points and one could be the male mental health. Um, another entry point could be what it's like to be the father of a daughter as she grows up. Mm. You know, imagine this is this, uh, look, an entry point for a guy that's really focused on the bottom line could be the research that shows that more diversity of thought leads to more profits. Oh, well, I mean, there's a plethora of research that shows that. I mean, Steve Bidolf, who writes some really wonderful books about uh, psychology and parenting in particular, talks about the fact that he thinks there might start to be a greater emphasis or appreciation of the importance of gender diversity and a move away from patriarchy when senior white or senior men have daughters of their own and see them entering the workforce and not having the, the exact same opportunities as uh, as their male counterparts. But when, when are we going to stop waiting? I mean, we see, we do see progress, but there are also pretty alarming statistics that sort of talk about if we if we look at the discrepancy in in pay between genders it's going to take another couple of hundred years for for there to be equity yeah there's not going to be as we've seen any quick change like we can pass all the legislation you can't legislate 
patriarchy out. There isn't a cure for it. Mm. There's not a tablet you can take. Mm. Uh, People say, understandably, smash the patriarchy, but where is it? Like it's the water we swim in, it's the air we breathe. Yes. It's it's not, I always use the metaphor of, um, remember in the Iraq war when the the Americans were getting on top and they uh, uh, sort of overthrew Saddam Hussein and all these people rushed into the street and there was a big statue of Saddam Hussein and they got ropes around and they pulled it over. I remember that. Well, if patriarchy was like that, something you could point at, shoot at, Mm. blow up, you'd get rid of it, but it's not. Oh, well, and then you'd also know when it's done, when it's finished, when it's complete. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's just a very granular process. It's no sort of celebrity, rock star, feminist or male champion of change that's, that can come in like the hero or the warrior archetype and mm. just get rid of it. That's, that's a patriarchal type myth in itself, that mm. there is... Uh, you know, people like Trump, they, they, he thinks he's a, like this hero, warrior yes. archetype. But, but if there was a flip side of him that was trying to get rid of patriarchy, that's not going to work either because it, it's, it's, it happens over generations. I mean, you look back at a generation or two, my father, probably my father, and when he got married to my mother, my mother was, it's this love, honour and obey thing. There was a difference mm, between, yes. and, and the father gives the bride away because the father owns the bride. Mm. Things have changed, but of course, when we're living in it, they're mm. not changing fast enough. Yeah, absolutely. But all we can do is what we can do. And, and I just try to get the conversation started in some of those corridors of power mm. by being the old white guy that perhaps can get through to the other old white guys a bit. Sure. Graham, there are many more questions that I'd like to ask you. Um, I will just ask you one more because we're, we're really just about out of time. There have been studies to show that training around unconscious bias and confirmation bias is not always especially impactful in changing the habits of a lifetime. And, you know, in many ways, that's what we're talking about here. So what are the changes that need to be made on this front? I get back to the. I, I think it's the. I think it's the courageous conversations, which mm. have to happen, where you've got people around a table, face to face, and where they can explore these things. I, I, a lot of these training training programs and so on, they're like a box ticking thing, a, a compliance. Thing. They say, oh, we tried that and it didn't work. What else can we try? Um, it's, there's, there's probably a hundred different things that we would want happening at the, at the one time. Mm. The, what, the, what would be your top two or three if you had to nominate them? There is one, that, which is to bring more what I call wise women on board. That doesn't, that doesn't just mean on to the board, that mm. means on board. What I call, I, I coined a, um, a, a sentence, which is really my, a, a firm belief I have, which is wise women will save the world. And that's based on uh, a belief that I have that Earth's greatest source of renewable energy is the untapped potential of a billion daughters, sisters, mothers and grandmothers. And I see that there is a growing number of women out there who 
are, are operating at a really high level of consciousness and a deep connection with the earth, with the planet, with future generations, not just with the next quarterling profit statement. That, that there are a lot of you know, women out there, women, that these are women who are also, uh, many of them experts in systems thinking, taking a very holistic view at what is going on. And they're empowering, they're empowering other women to, to speak up, to stand up and take up the challenge of redesigning society and repairing our planet. They're also amplifying the influence of, of other women uh, via their creative communication and behaviour change. We're seeing more and more documentaries and things which are not just sort of superficial stories about like action, often men, mm. you know, in adventures and that, but exploring, exploring a lot of deeper issues. And, and, and there's a lot of women involved in putting those together. And uh, I'm, I'm totally in favour of that. There's other points of leverage too, which I think wise women are helping to facilitate, which is the growing spending and investing power of women by, by getting by women spending their money there rather than there, you can punish unethical companies and you can reward ethical ones by investing money in things which, are, which in of themselves empower girls and women in all sorts of countries across all sorts of cultures. Mm -hmm. You get more women into business, these micro, there's, there's uh, yeah, micro businesses yeah. that women run in the, uh, the different countries because when when a woman is generating money she spends more of it on education and health and family well she just has more money to spend full stop doesn't she yeah, yeah. you raise some really interesting points Graham I mean unfortunately we've run out of time but I mean what I, I liked what you had to say in the last answer I mean I would also counter that with we also men are also at the table and we equally need them to uh, be more enlightened and to be, well, move, removing that unconscious bias and, and, and taking a different mindset. But we could talk about this for hours. It's been a really interesting conversation. Um, I've, taken, I've taken a lot out of it and, and I'm sure that listeners will as well. Graeme, thanks very much for your time. It's been really good. Thanks very much for having me, Katie. Thank you. And thanks for listening to the Katie Talks podcast with me, Katie Bennett-Stenton. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with someone else who will enjoy it. And I'd love it if you could give me a review on iTunes, which helps other people to find this great content. I've got some really great thought leaders coming up in the series. Subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. And I really love hearing feedback from listeners. Uh, please keep it coming in. You can find me at Katie B Marketing on Twitter or Katie Bennett Stenton on LinkedIn.